Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, where we look at money, how it works, where it's going, and how to get the best out of it. I'm Andrew Harrison. I work as a journalist, so I don't know anything about money at all. But Andy Mayer does. Hello, Andy. How are you? Very well. Better than the weather outside, which is cold, damp and grey. So I'm smiling on the inside, but outside it's horrible. Cold, damp and grey, much like myself. So we're, we're recording this podcast right in the middle of COP26. We've already seen all kinds of announcements on ending deforestation, cutting emissions of the powerful climate change and gas methane by 30%. How do you think it's going, firstly at the macro level, Andy, how do you think this is this is going to pan out economically? I love when politicians make all these statements about what is going to happen. And then you can see people underneath going, that's never going to happen. I think it's uh, New York said they were going to get rid of all cars that weren't electric by 2046. If someone's telling me New York will be running purely electric in 25 years, I think pigs may fly. So I think a lot of the stuff that's being said is for political reasons, it's sound bites, but whether any of it will ever reach down to me and you, I'd be very surprised. On today's edition, we're going to be talking about what's happening in personal borrowing the debt that we all carry in one form or another. British shoppers have racked up more than £4 billion in debt so far this year alone on buy now, pay later deals. Uh, This is all during the pandemic. That's 7.7 million Britons with significant outstanding balances. If you've been watching Squid Game on Netflix, which everybody has, you'll know that most of the contestants are risking their lives to pay off personal debt and the total amount of debt run up in South Korea exceeds GDP by 5%. It's ridiculous. Back home, inflation is rising, so interest rates could rise. Good for savers, bad for borrowers. Andy, what do we need to know about the way that personal debt is heading? I think personal debt is obviously on the increase. During COVID, I think the one consistent I saw in my street was either Pallet Force or DPD vans delivering or Amazon Mm. vans delivering to people. And obviously people sat at home and kept buying stuff now, the, the problem is that most people aren't paying for it. It's going onto a credit card on what I used to call as a kid, mm. the never-never. The never-never? God, I remember the never-never. Yeah. yeah, so it's on the never-never, and it, people say, well, it's, it's 0% finance. But it's somewhere it's got to be paid off. So personal debt is heading, is increasing, and interest rates are going up. Last weekend, most of the lenders, the, the mortgage lenders, moved their uh, borrowing rate up by 0.3%. Well, let's look at that, that sort of uh, state of the market and the UK economy at large rather than at, at the personal yeah. level. How, how much debt have we got as a nation at the moment? How does it com- compare worldwide? Are we doing worse or, <laughs> or better than comparable comparable industrialised nations, do you think? What do you mean? We're in the Premier League of debt. I think we're at 106% of GDP. Are we world leading? We're, we're, yeah, we're in the top. We're, in, we're doing really well on this at level, Andrew. I think there's a Great. round of applause needed for how well we're doing on this. We're basically 0.6% above Europe, the average of the EU nations. The problem is with some of the countries around the world, like uh, somewhere like China, they're never going to reveal their true debt anyway, and you never know what their true GDP are. But no, in terms of personal debt, we're doing very well. That We've actually managed to increase it to 106%. Very well, do you mean really badly? <laughs> Well, if you want to look at it as a positive, we're doing really well on debt. But if you yeah, look yeah. at it realistically, it's a terrible statistic. It's absolutely yeah. – if you were a business, the bank would stop you trading. But as a government and as a country, all they do is raise taxes to start clearing this debt. So what kind of a role does personal debt play in the economy? We've all heard that we've kind of run a, a kind of debt-based economy and a, a consumer debt-based economy for years. Is that an accurate Description. Yeah, it is because I think the government, not this government, all governments and consumerism encourages people to spend. 
And I think the modern platforms of social media make people go out and believe that if they buy something, whether it's a car or clothes or a painting or whatever your thing is, it'll make them happier. And a lot of the things mm. that people are aspiring to something that I think doesn't exist, but they actually can't afford. So this credit roll-up, whether it's a credit card where you're paying, say you have £10,000 in debt and you're paying £250 a month, well, at the end of the year, you have probably still approximately 10000 in debt and you've paid a credit card company £3,000 yeah. for the luxury of it. Well, as you said, interest rates are, it's likely that they will go up. But we've had, what is it, nearly 12 years now of... Yeah. Interest rates uh, from 1% down to 0.01%. We've had an entire generation grow up on the idea that credit is, well, obviously it's not free when you're talking about credit cards, but but cheap money, or and I think I remember reading this week, the era of free money is over. Do you think British consumers are mentally acclimatised to the idea that interest rates might get rather more punishing soon? I think you've got to remember they're still going to be low. So when we go back to when I first bought my house, and I know my kids always go, it was like Darwin days or Dickens days because yes. I'm so old. But we had mortgage rates under Thatcher go to 15%, but inflation then was running up between 5 and 10 Interest rates need to go back up, and they are going back up, and it will start to control the housing market. But people who are coming off fixed rates in about a year's time could see a significant bump in their payments, but that will also lead to potentially them spending less in the economy. So it's an interesting balancing act that the Bank of England have got alongside the Chancellor. We're going to talk about housing uh, borrowing shortly, but I mean, just at that basic level of loans, if rates are about to go up, is now a good time to take out a loan if you you know need to do up your kitchen or something? Yeah, if you're going to wait six months, I think you're going to see an increase. If you're going to go and get a five grand, 10 grand loan for cars or kitchens or bathrooms, jacuzzis, it's not going to get any lower than it is now. And so if people are listening, going, I'm thinking of doing this, get your loan secured now. In July, the Bank of America claimed that it had worked out that US interest rates were at the lowest level in 5,000 years. 5,000 <laughs> years, not, not months, but 5,000 years. Now, I don't know how they worked this out. And setting aside what the APR was on a new chariot or a guy to come and repoint your sphinx, rates are going to go up. The Monetary Policy Committee is expected to raise them. Why do they need to go up? Sorry, Andrew, that starts amaze me. Who sits there and works these things out? There must be a lot You've of got to start on a baseline from somewhere, haven't you? <laughs> so, so why why do they need to go up? Uh, you know, of the Pharaoh's five thousand year mortgage on his pyramid. Why do why do these rates need to go up now? Ultimately, inflation. The we need a bit of inflation to make the debt look smaller, and inflation is good because it means people sort of it, it gets pay rises and everything. But inflation is now looking between depending on which figures you want to look at, three and five percent, and they don't want that. So interest rates will rise to stop people spending to control it. It'll also, the knock-on impact, it should slow the housing market, which you keep waiting for it to cool down or slow, and it doesn't appear to. So I think interest rate rises will be used to control inflation and control the housing market. But interestingly, I think interest rate rises across the world will be coming because you're right, since 2008, borrowing's been virtually free, and there's been so much government quantitative easing across the world that you have to see a rising interest rate, but every country in the world's massively in debt and they've got this balancing act between raising interest rates to control inflation, but trying to get the world back on its track or start reducing the debt by getting people to spend money. Very, very difficult act. 
Do you think governments and companies have wasted the era of cheap money then? Because it's been it, for, for large projects, it's been it's never been cheaper to borrow large sums of money. I think individually, a lot of people we've seen have used the money to move houses and upgrade homes and do plots of land that they needed to extend, develop, make the houses nicer. So some people have used it very wisely. I can't say I can see that the governments around the world have used cheap borrowing as well as they should have done to get some of the infrastructure products projects done rather that they could have done in the UK and across the world. But I think a lot of people could have used the, the, the time with low interest rates to reduce personal debt such as credit card because mortgages generally are on repayment basis where you're paying part of the capital off. A lot of credit card debts at the cheap rates we've had have been phenomenally low. People still got the balances outstanding. And when you listen to various commentators, what the personal level of debt is in this country, it's still ridiculously high on credit cards because unless people take the money from their pension or their ISA or equity out of the house, that debt can sometimes stay there for five to 10 years. And it means they've paid back two, three times what they borrowed. Plus, the debt is still outstanding. Well, let's bring it back to that individual level then. So interest rates are about to go up. If you're a debtor now, we're going to, so let's put set credit card debt maybe as a separate case yeah. aside at the moment. If you've got loans, are you able to shift loans around like you used to be able to to get a, to get a cheap rate? Or is that, is, is that era gone? No, you can still shop, shop, sorry, shop loans around. I suspect in eight to 12 months, things might be slightly more interesting or difficult if we've got raising interest rates because the risk of default will go up. We're starting to see now the impact of furloughing ending, and it'll be interesting to see who goes back to work, which industries recover, which industries don't. So credit card companies like loan companies will look at, can you pay the debt back? It was when the government introduced banks back loans and the government had to uh, say the banks could secure they had to be responsible for 10% of the debt. None of the banks were lending. The minute the government said they'd back 100% of it, the banks were throwing money at people. So we have to bear in mind that this is unsecured debt. So credit cards and personal loans are not secured against anything. So if you don't pay it, they can stick a county court judgment against you, but they're not going to come and get your house. So I think if we see a raising of interest rates, if unemployment becomes higher or people's jobs become less secure, you might see some interesting lending decisions. And what if you are that serious credit card debtor that we just talking about? Like you've managed to, you somehow managed to spend £40,000 on vintage house records without your wife knowing, for instance. (laughs) Is there anything you want to tell me, Andrew? I I like to share things with you, Andy. Well, you know, if you're in that position and interest rates are about to change, are you kind of snookered? Are you not going to be able to shift your debt around to a a more advantageous credit card deal? If I had that sort of debt now, uh, you want to be getting it fixed now, number one. And number two, you need to ask yourself why you've got in that problem and how do you get out of it? But if you're just talking purely financial, interest rates are rising. If you've got that on a, say, a four, five percent that's variable, 6% 6% variable, go and get it fixed for two, three, four years for what you can. Because I think with the governments around the world and monetary policies looking at flexible interest targets to sort of keep the economies going, to fix now would make a lot more sense than just to be at the mercy of 
volatility across the markets in terms of inflation. And I would be looking to fix if that was me. Let's go back to mortgages then. Um, for most of us, the mortgage is, is the biggest debt we'll probably ever have. Mortgage rates, as you say, are going up. The FT says that benchmark rates are expected to rise by 1.25% by the end of, of next year. And The Guardian calculated that a person who borrowed £450,000 on a two-year fixed rate at a fairly kind of common 2.06% earlier this year they would be paying an extra £1,068 if they were to remortgage in 2023. So it's getting less and less attractive for mortgage taker-outers. What should you be doing now if, say, you've got 10 years left on your mortgage? I think it's if you're on, if your mortgage is due to come to an end in terms of its fixed rate, so you've got 15 years left to clear your mortgage, but your fixed rate ends in November this year, I'd go and fix and I'd look at the five-year fix because they're not much difference to the two-year fix. But if you're in the middle of a fixed rate, you've just got to be prepared that when that fixed rate ends, your mortgage is highly likely to have gone up. But to come out of a mortgage, so if you've, say, got a £200,000 mortgage and you want to come out of it early on a two-year deal, can normally cost you between four and £6,000. So that doesn't make economic sense. So you're going to have to wait until the end. But be aware that whatever your mortgage is now, it's highly likely that when that fixed rate ends, it's going to be a lot more or a significant portion more. But with inflation in the economy, certain pay rises should help offset any increases in the mortgage rise. I mean, because I can remember in the early 90s, people coming to the end of fixed rates and there being a horrific twang upwards, you know, hundreds and sometimes thousands of pounds more a month. I remember my first mortgage went to 15.5%. So it won't go to that. There's no chance of that happening. We're economically more sophisticated. But people might see their mortgage rates go up by half to 1% in the next 18 months. And that can be significantly disadvantageous to people depending on their economic situation. And it can see people reduce what they can put into pensions. It can see them reduce what they've got to go and spend. It might affect holidays. But if you're in the middle of a fixed rate, there's nothing you can do. But if your rate is coming to an end soon, look at the longer term deals because they're very, very competitive. And there doesn't seem to be any signs that rates will come down again in the near future. They look likely to go up. So some of the five-year deals, we just fixed somebody, I think, for 1.5 for five years. But a week ago, it was 1.2. What about if you're taking out a new mortgage or a first mortgage or you're moving? I mean, the environment has changed an awful lot. You know, I've been reading these horror stories about whole sectors of the economy that are just being refused mortgages flat out, hospitality in particular. Are we going to be going into a world where some people just cannot get a mortgage? Lenders over the last number of years have looked at people's salaries. So we'll make a figure up. You've got a basic of 50,000 and you earn 50,000 in commission. We've worked in the hospitality sector. You've had no commission for the last 18 months. So they're going to base it on your 50,000 pound basic. So you've got people, whether it's 20,000 basic and 20,000 bonus commission or 20,000 basic and 5,000 commission bonus, if that has gone, due to the pandemic, they're just going to work on your basic salaries. And that's going to affect people's ability to move. Because over the last number of years, they've looked at your car allowance, they've looked at your bonus, they've looked at any profit related pay, and all those factors have helped people get multiples of four or five times their salary or their package. If you've lost all those bonuses and commissions, your package can significantly impact what your borrowings are. And we've we've actually seen it with a couple of people where overtime's dried up, bonuses have dried up and lenders have gone, no, we're not lending you that. And other things you can do, or in fact, maybe even your kids can do to make your financial profile more mortgage friendly, or are you basically 
you know, stuck with your your earnings and that's it. No, no. One of the big things is your credit files. So I'm not the biggest fan of credit cards because I've seen what debt has done. But credit cards are a good thing if they use correctly. So if you're going to spend £100 a month on fuel, which at the moment is probably one tank of fuel for a lot of people, and you literally go to the petrol station, use your credit card, you pay it off every month. It builds your credit score. You can make sure that your addresses are consistent on your file, that when you fill in forms that you put the moving in date correct. But credit cards are a good way of showing people that you can pay debt back consistently before you get a mortgage. Obviously, building a deposit is a massive factor now because the house prices are very, very high. It doesn't matter where you live, they're still expensive. And you can't build a deposit by laying off the avocados, can you? That's <laughs> not, you know, avocado on toast is not going to build your deposit. No, you've actually got to have the cash. Now, you can get gifts from parents, grandparents. But generally, most people now have to sort of save their own deposits. And the more deposit you get, the better lending criteria you get. You get lower, lower rates. You'll get to borrow more money, which might mean you can get the house you want rather than having to move two or three times. So it is important that people build up their deposit and they build up their credit file. Using credit cards and showing to a lender if you're a first-time buyer that you've been able to pay three, four, five hundred pounds a month off on a credit card Every month consistently shows you can manage debt, and that's where they become very, very good things to use. But as you've said, if you've got £40,000 on credit because you've been buying vintage records, probably not the best way forward. Didn't say it was me, but somebody <laughs> might do that. <laughs> A friend you what know. About, so, ma'am, uh, some, yeah, somebody you don't know. What about sort of pro- protecting your mortgage or protecting, for instance, your, your, your salary and your ability to make those mortgage payments? Can you still do that the way you used to? Yeah, you can get redundancy cover, but you need to pretty much take it on the minute you get the mortgage. Lenders, again, and insurers are looking at the market going. So if you're... Uh, working in the hospitality sector, they might realise that what you were earning previously is not as sort of secure as it was in terms of overtime, but they will insure you. But the time to do is at the start of your mortgage. But redundancy cover, if you've got a mortgage that's costing you, say, £600 a month, to get that covered is about £30 to £50, depending on the insurer. So it's not cheap per month, and they pay out for up to a year. But I think with the job crisis as, as they are at the moment, my son's just got a job at Tesco's for three nights a week after doing his A-levels at school. He's in the middle of his A-levels, rather. They've offered him 20 hours because they can't get people to work, which is probably how Tom got the job. But <laughs> So I think there's jobs out there if people want them. But if people are in a sector where they're slightly worried, you can get redundancy. But if you've got an existing mortgage, there's normally when you take the policy out a six-month waiting period before you can claim. Well, they'll always be positioned as bus drivers because all the bus drivers are leaving to become HGV drivers now. <laughs> so, you know, golden opportunities. Yeah, well, I, I think if Tom could drive and he's only 16, he'd probably be able to get a job as a lorry driver as well. So I think <laughs> at the moment the, uh, the shortage of workers in this country is going to cause some very, very interesting times ahead. And that is a subject for an entirely <laughs> different podcast, I'm sure. Now, something on the housing before we move mm. on. We buy in Britain. In Europe, everybody rents. Why is that? Are we mad? It's interesting because I think in France, you can probably go and a lot of British people have gone and bought houses in France over the last 10, 20 years, and then they've bought them for 70, 80,000. They've sold them for 70, 80 to 100,000. We live in an overpopulated island where most people's wealth in this country is in what they think is an asset, which is the house, which is actually a liability because until you sell your house, it costs you money every month. But... I think 
for some people, renting is an absolutely brilliant idea, but I understand why we buy in this country because as one of my clients once said to me, Sandy said, I bought a house for 30,000. 30 years later, it's worth 300,000. All I do is live in it. And I think in Europe, the housing prices are so different that people are happy to rent and have their money to do what they want. But over here, this sort of idea that your home is a castle is one thing. But I also believe it's the lack of land and overpopulated country allows us to buy something to live in it and eventually sell it and downsize. And most people in this country, I would suggest in Europe, their pensions are more valuable. Over here, a lot of people, their biggest asset and their biggest source of wealth, unfortunately, is not in their pensions, is in their house and the equity in it. And that becomes half the problem. So you get a 60, 65, 67, you want to retire, and you spend all of your life going outside of your house to work, and then you get to spend time in it, and someone's saying, we haven't got any money, you've got to sell it. But that's why equity release is now becoming a big part of people's retirement planning. They decided they haven't got a big enough pension, but they're going to start taking money out of the houses. And that obviously impacts what inheritance goes down to children. But the reality is you bought a house to live in it. It's worth way more than you paid for it. So a lot of people are now looking at that as part of their retirement planning. Finally, before we wrap up, uh, we just had the budget. And one of the headlines that came out of it was taxation is reaching levels not seen since the 1950s to pay off the pandemic. We're going into higher taxes, higher interest rates. Um, are we heading back to the 70s here, Andy? No, I don't think we're heading back to the 70s, but we're definitely going to go th- see higher taxes. There's no doubt taxes are coming in various forms, whether it's a change in this social care tax that's come in, whether capital gains tax will change next year, whether we're going to see pension relief reformed. Taxes are coming in just various different forms and there's no hiding from it. It's just wh- where they hit and who they hit. So we should be like the South Koreans and volunteer for Squid Game to win 30 million quid in a giant glass pig that hovers above the uh, the arena, should we? I have to be honest, after this, I'm picking Boris and Rishi up and we're both, all three of us are off on a plane to South Korea to see if we can win and help the country. <laughs> squid, squid Game with Annie Mayer, Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson, available now on Netflix. Yeah, we might be able to sell it as well. <laughs> I can just see you in a, in a, in a lovely velour green tracksuit. Can, can I get the Celtic emblem on it? It'll be fine. Absolutely. And that's <laughs> the end of the podcast. Andy, thanks for talking to me. What are we doing next time? We, we have plans for the next podcast. Yeah, we're going to do a review of the year. The good, the bad and the ugly as Clint Eastwood starred in a movie. It was once called. So we're going to do that. And then in January, we've got some exciting news. We've got uh, Dan Kemp, who's the chief investment officer of Morningstar, showing up with one of his colleagues, either... Mike Coop or uh, Mark Prescott, who all of them are industry legends. They are the sort of the Jurgen Klopps of our industry. Wow. Not only are they knowledgeable, but they're entertaining, really good people and the sort of people you want to sit and have beers with, talk to them about the investment world, but are highly knowledgeable. So I, I say they're like Klopp because I think whether you're a Liverpool fan or not, everybody loves Klopp. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> so... Listeners, uh, we'll be back soon. Um, subscribe, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you use, and then you'll get those podcasts that Andy's just talked about. Andy, good to talk to you. See you next time. See you, Andrew.